Okay, so we've got these three snapshots here. Um, so the first one, if you're following along, you've got an outline that the top half of the page tracks where we've been in our studies in 1 Samuel so far. I'm not going to refer to that at this time. Um, and then under letter B, today's passages, plural, right? The first bullet point, uh, I got a little arrow there for you, the first bullet point, uh, David, who's a fugitive, as I said, David flees from Saul. He and his men receive the bread of the presence. That's a technical term. The holy bread, the, if you're an old King Jimmy person, the shoe bread, or otherwise the show bread. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he and his men receive the bread of the presence to sustain them. That's the bottom line. You and I already prayed the Lord's Prayer together. Give us this day our daily bread. And one great Old Testament scholar uh, says Ahimelech, that's the high priest there at this place, um, because uh, the worship center, remember the temple hasn't been built yet. David's not even king yet, and he's not the one that gets to build the temple. So the tabernacle, that portable tent system that was the center for worship, was at a place called Shiloh, but now apparently has been moved down outside of the town of Nob, N-O-B, that we read about. So uh, this great commentator says, Ahimelech's holy bread becomes David's daily bread. All right, so that's kind of the, the scoop there. Mm, we'll have more to say about that when we um, get down to our takeaways and we interpret scripture with scripture together. But what else happens, that was just a snapshot. That's the opening paragraph chapter 21. If you read the rest of the chapter, particularly when you get to the end, David's fleeing for his life, right? Uh, King Saul is out to get him. He's already tried to pin him to the wall with a spear twice, and he is out to kill him. And so David has fled for his life. And um, they even made kind of a dummy in the bed, if you read, did the previous chapter's reading they made kind of a dummy in the bed, and Saul said, you know, bring the whole bed to me with him in it. Uh, you know, he's going to get it. So, so King David, oh, well, he's not king yet. David, the anointed one, who will be king, he's on the run. He's on the run for his life, and after this episode, this snapshot that we just read, and I didn't even read the, the verse or two that talks about uh, the priest also giving him the sword of Goliath, remember that, the one he cut off his head with? That sword was kept there at the tabernacle, and he gets that, and where does he go? He goes to Gath, which is part of the Philistine stronghold. He goes to the town of Gath, and then he realizes this wasn't a good idea, because even the foreigners, these Philistines, these uncircumcised Philistines who previously had defied the armies of the living God, they recognize that David is sort of de facto king of Israel, and he realizes he's not going to be safe there, so he acts crazy. If you read the chapter at the end, it's kind of weird. He acts crazy, like a madman, so that the king will say, we don't need this guy in, uh, at my table in the, in the royal king's court. Get him out of here. And uh, so that's what happens there, and that may have been the occasion for David writing Psalm 56. I'm going to mention three psalms all in the 50s today, and you might do well to read them as well. So David acts crazy, 
probably pens Psalm 56. All right, let's go ahead, I think, to our second, well, before we do the second reading, the end of the first reading, we mentioned this guy with a funny name, Doeg the Edomite. It's not dog, it's Doeg. Uh, the Edomite meant, meant that he was from Edom. Edom uh, were the descendants of Esau. Remember, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And so these folks were actually enemies of the Lord's people, and yet this, this fellow has risen through the ranks to be trusted by King Saul as the chief shepherd, and it said that he was a very uh, wise man. And so the mention that we had at the end of our first snapshot, there happened to be this fellow there in God's providence. They're just so that he was detained before the Lord. Nobody knows exactly why he was detained. I could give you a couple of hypotheses, but we won't even bother because no one knows. But he's there when David is provided with sustenance, daily bread that comes from the priest. He's there. And that might seem innocuous, but actually it's going to turn out to be ominous. It's uh, a, a portent of things to come. Here comes our second little reading from chapter 22. Middle of your page on the back of the sermon outline. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to, to him. Look at the next verse. If you're looking at your page, you can see I put it in bold. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was, in, who was bitter in soul gathered to him. These are David's followers. And he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Stronghold is uh, caves in the wilderness. Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Heret. This too is the word of the Lord. All right, so what do we make of this? David puts together a ragtag army of followers. Your second bullet point under letter B, David puts together a ragtag army of followers. And in that song that uh, Chris and Jay had played for you, the outlaw, Larry Norman, what he says is, um, he, he calls the disciples uh, a band of unschooled ruffians. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, someone else, uh, another common commentator that I appreciate, says they were fishermen, traders, and terrorists. Those were the people that were part of Jesus' little ragtag band. But we're not even there yet. We're looking at David's ragtag army of followers and Look how they're described. The best and brightest? I think not. In distress, in debt, and bitter. Those are the people that he has with him. They're stressed out, broke, and discontent. Sounds kind of like us after Christmas, doesn't it? (laughs) 
dis- in distress, debt, discontented, disenfranchised. Um, another commentator calls them a motley kaleidoscope of social riffraff and malcontents. These are David's followers. All right, let's, let's proceed to our third reading. Three quarters of the way down your page, you see the bold numeral 23, and we'll read the next... Oh, oh wait a minute. Pause button. Read. I've got to tell you about what I said, this dastardly fella, Doeg the Edomite. I said, was it innocuous? I mentioned he happened to be there when David received... Uh, supplies, bread, which we're going to talk about more in a bit, and particularly then it'll lead us to come to the table together. There's this guy, Doeg, hanging around there. So what? Well, King Saul comes with his cronies. They're hot on David's track. They're hot on his trail, and they get there to where the priest is, and the, the king says to him words to the effect of, don't hold out on me. Tell me why you've conspired together with this uh, son of Jesse, you know, David. And the priest has been supplied with plausible deniability by David, by the way, right? I don't know if you caught that. But the, the priest doesn't, Ahimelech, he doesn't even know exactly what's going on here. And yet he supplies the anointed with bread. But King Saul gets there. He says, I know that you're a dirty double-dealing and you've helped this rascal uh, David out and I can't believe it. And he, he orders his men to kill him, kill the high priest and the other priests. It's 85 people. And King Saul's men won't do it. They won't raise their sword against the priests of God. And so he looks at this foreigner who's close to, you know, he's an inside circle, Doeg the Edomite, and he says, you kill him. And he does. He kills 85 men there to ingratiate himself with King Saul. Uh, someone, uh, another pastor described Doeg uh, as, you know, David is described in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. A, a pastor described Doeg as a man after Saul's own heart. So he wanted to get in good with the king. So he kills 85 priests of the Lord. They're not content with that. They go to that nearby town where the priests all live, their families, that town called Nob, N-O-B, and they kill everybody. They kill everybody and everything, including the women, the children, the animals. And not only is that awful and murderous, but if you remember when we got to Saul's downfall, remember incomplete obedience is no obedience at all? Remember, he was told to go wipe out the Amalekites, and he wouldn't do it. So that's the rest of chapter 22. And, and I'll read to you the, the, the very last paragraph in chapter 22, not on your notes, uh, before we continue to the next snapshot. So, so the 85 priests have been killed. Their families have been slaughtered. One guy gets away. One of the priests, his name is Abiathar. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew 
on the day that when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. So David, the anointed who is going to become the king, he's, always, he's being persecuted for no cause. He's being driven out of the promised land for no reason. Saul is seeking to put him to death without cause, which the crown prince, Jonathan, says to his daddy on multiple occasions, what have you done? What are you doing here? And Saul is a vow breaker. He, he, time and time again, he swears, even in the name of the Lord, he'll say something to the effect, okay, David's all right. I, 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 I vow before the Lord that he, surely he will not be put to death. And then he goes and he tries to kill him again and again and again. So this is the anointed of God. And of course, we fast forward to Jesus, who was persecuted by the Pharisees and the others who conspired together to put him to death, betrayed by the betrayer, Judas, not only that, but denied by Peter three times, not only him, but the rest of the disciples ran off and left the true son of David, our Savior Jesus, in his greatest time of need. And yet he's always looking to protect, always looking to provide. What is David say to this one escapee, stay with me and my men will take care of you. You will be safe with us. What does Jesus say in the high priestly prayer in John 17? Lord, I have kept them. I have kept them safe. Keep them in your safekeeping as he prays for us, his disciples, his followers. So that's the end of our second snapshot and second chapter. Third chapter. Chapter 23, three-quarters the way down the page, back of your sermon. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kela and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kela, uh, which is a, a city uh, in Israel. Uh, but David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go into Calah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord again. The Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock, struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. And this, too, is the word of the Lord. All right, so what, what, what's the emphasis there? I underlined it for you in the paragraph. David continues to seek the Lord for guidance. David continues to seek the Lord for guidance. Now, the way that they did that at that time, if you know about the, the priestly garments that the high priest wore, the linen ephod and all the tapestry on it and the beautiful stones that are sewn into it, and then he had with him the, the, uh, the urim and the thummim, which was a way of determining the Lord's will. Uh, if that doesn't mean anything to you, don't worry about it because we're not going to do anything with it. But he inquires of the Lord. David is a man after God's own heart. David is a man who constantly seeks the Lord, 
even when he's on the run and being persecuted, he's writing psalms. May as well mention the other two right now. Um, uh, when, when he is on the run and Doeg, that dirty double-dealing Edomite, does what he does, David writes Psalm 52. Uh, and then in chapter 23, when uh, some folks turn David in, they tell King Saul his whereabouts. In fact, they give him his precise location, his exact coordinates is what we'd say today, right? Tells him exactly where he is. He says, King, come on down here and we'll get him out for you. And David writes Psalm 54. So he's a man after God's own heart. He's seeking the Lord continually and asking the Lord to save him, if you read these psalms, admitting sometimes that he's afraid, finding hope and strength and confidence in the Lord, and then the psalms turn some of these psalms to a note of joy where he's praising God even while he's on the run living in caves. It's quite amazing. And and by the way, note that David, the soon-to-be king, is accompanied by this fellow we read about, did did you hear? Gad, a prophet. So David's going to be king. He's got a prophet with him named Gad and a priest now named Abiathar. Prophet, priest, and king. Does that remind you of anyone? That's very significant. So it is a ragtag army, but God has strategically placed individuals with the man who will be king. Um, When David received the word of the Lord from the prophet, uh, first Samuel, right, and now from this fellow Gad, uh, or through working with the priest and the the linen ephod and uh, ephod, and the Urim and the Thummim, the way that they knew the will of the Lord back then, what does David do? He acted upon it without reservation or without delay. Jenna, you might say that when David received the word of the Lord, he obeyed God all the way, right away, and with a happy spirit. In contrast... Saul has become a tyrant, a ruthless dictator. But the Lord is with David, the anointed king. And Jesus Christ, of course we know, is the son of David, as he's so often called in the Gospels. What was his earthly father's name? Mary was the mother, and who's daddy? Joseph, the quiet hero of Christmas. I heard a sermon series on that one time. Um, They don't call him son of Joseph. They call him son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They recognize that he's the anointed of God, that he is the true king, the one who heals, the one who provides, the one who protects, like David. We have the final revelation of God. Jesus is the final word come in the flesh. And the Bible contains the entire revealed will of God. Do we read it and obey? So our takeaways uh, this morning, letters A, B, and C, under point C, our takeaways. 
The first one, I'm just kind of reminding you of the purpose of the book of 1 Samuel. It's not be brave because David was brave. That's not it. It's David was the king that God's people of old were to follow. Even the generations after this time, after David's time, after Solomon's time, where you have the divided kingdom, the north and the south, it's written for them so that they'll know to follow the line of David. And it's preserved in Scripture for us so that we'll know to trust the true son of David. Know the purpose of the book of 1 Samuel and God's redemptive plan, and then read the chapters for next time. There's 33 chapters altogether. Do your reading for next time. Now, importantly, letter B, interpret Scripture with Scripture. Um, We're not going to look up um, these, but I have one provided in the back we'll look at in a moment. The Exodus 25 one, it's about the Ark of the Covenant and the table of the Lord and the commandment originally about this bread of the presence. Remember that? Daily bread? Shoe bread? Show bread? Bread of the presence shall be set on the table before me, says the Lord, regularly. Leviticus 24 gives us details that there was 12 loaves of bread. 12, we know, is a very important number in Scripture, right? 12 tribes, 12 apostles, things like that. Um, 12 loaves of that flat bread uh, divided into two piles of six as a food offering to the Lord, and the priests were to eat it. So um, they baked hot bread, presumably on Fridays, right, because their Sabbath was Saturday. So on Fridays, they baked bread, they put two piles of it on the mercy seat, uh, the table by the Ark of the Covenant, and what happened to the, the stuff that they took away. The priests were the only ones who were allowed to eat it. And that's part of the original conversation that we looked at in our first reading, right? When David is on the run, he asks for bread. The priest says, well, this is the, the holy bread. This is special bread, only for the priests. And yet he gives it to them. Why? Well, Jesus helps us understand why. If you don't understand why, and if I struggle to understand why, on the back of your sermon outline, we've got one New Testament passage. Uh, it's, it's in the three synoptic gospels. Synoptic, same, view, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in all three of them. Here's the account in Mark. I almost wish that I would have put the one in Matthew in there because it expands a little bit. But Mark 2 One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, that's Jesus, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, his favorite title for himself, everybody else is calling him Son of David, the king. He calls himself Son of Man, this apocalyptic figure from Daniel 7. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. What's 
the point. Food for the hungry and food for the poor. And the most religious of the religious people, Jesus took them to task, even as they persecuted our king unrighteously. He took them to task for they would read the Bible and misconstrue it. They would read it and forget about mercy to the poor and hungry. That's what this is about. That's what this story is about. Jesus tells us so. If you do read the parallel account in Matthew chapter 12, he also talks about himself something greater than the temple is here. You know, the temple with the, the Ark of the Covenant, the angel wings, spattered blood, the bread of the presence set there, all that. He says, something greater than that is here. Me! Because Jesus is the final temple of God. You want the presence of the Lord? He's Emmanuel. God with us. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, don't go through religious ritual just by rote and not understand the meaning. It's about mercy. And if you understood these things, Jesus says to them in Matthew 12, you would not have condemned the guiltless. You see, the Pharisees, the most religious people there were, were blaming Jesus, blaming his followers in the same way that folks might have thought that David was doing wrong by receiving bread from the priest. But he wasn't. Okay, other scriptures that I listed there for you. Mark 3 passage. Uh, that's where Jesus calls the 12. We talk about a rag bunch, right? We call uh, Larry Norman, band of unschooled ruffians. Tim Chester, fishermen, traitors, and terrorists. Jesus calls the 12, and one of them, Judas, betrayed him. And in verse 21 in Mark 3, his own family sent guys after him in the white coats with the butterfly nets and the straight jackets. They're coming to take me away. Aha! They thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. But the Lord worked in their hearts too, right? Because after the resurrection, after the giving of the Holy Spirit, how do we know this? Because we got the book of James, who wrote that. Jesus' brother, we got the book of Jude, who wrote that. Jesus' brother. The family members who initially thought he was off his rocker. He was one fry short of a happy meal. Come to have faith in him and call him Christ and Lord. Messiah or King and Lord. It's amazing. And the Matthew 6 and 7 passages are about seeking the Lord, right? Seek ye first. Matthew 6.33 is a pretty famous address. David sought the Lord, inquired of the Lord, so you and I should do that. So our applications, point C, undertakeaway is the last one. Make modern-day applications. Remember to show mercy to those in need. And seek the Lord and obey his will. Don't read scripture and then lose sight of what it's really about. David's followers and Jesus' disciples we're not the only ragtag crew that the Lord has. He's got us. 
he still chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. It says so in 1 Corinthians 1. And the great Reformed Baptist preacher Spurgeon says this about, well, remember David's followers in distress, in debt, and discontented. And Jesus' disciples, not a really impressive bunch by resume. Spurgeon says this, there is an ability enough in him to make up for all our impotency. We may come and cast ourselves with all our weakness on his irresistible might, and we will have a full supply of all our soul's need. Come to Jesus, all who are lost, ruined, undone, and poverty-stricken. Come and trust the Master, the Son of David. The poor debtor will be taken out of the debtor's prison and introduced to the Master's table. Bankrupt debtors make good soldiers for the king. As our king, Jesus gives us protection. As our prophet, he gives us direction. And as our priest, he gives us redemption.